chapter 7, the first six verses. This is what the Word of God has to say. Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is, is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brother, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in, a, in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So when I say freedom, what does that make you think of? Now, total honesty, when I say freedom, I think of Braveheart and Braveheart screaming, freedom, in that wonderful movie. But oftentimes we think about freedom being able to do whatever we want to do. I was telling our kids a story this week. They were complaining about the, the, uh, the, the temperature settings we have in our home. And I, and, I, and I told them a story. I said, when I was growing up, my dad believed because somebody in the government declared it that you should only set your air condition at 78 and your heat at 68. And he would not vary from that, that setting. So we were always complaining about being too hot or too cold. And I, I, I decided in my own heart and mind that when I grew up and I had my own house, that I was going to set my temperature as long as I could afford it to whatever it was that was comfortable for me. And I'm able to do that now. And I'll tell my children, when you grow up by your own house, you can set it to whatever you are, and I won't complain when I come visit your, your house. Oftentimes we think about freedom, being able to do whatever we want to do. But the reality of it is, freedom doesn't, unrestrained freedom doesn't actually bring to us whatever we can do. It often comes with its own constraints. The world thinks about freedom as being unrestrained from anything. That's not the biblical understanding of freedom. When you've been truly unrestrained, when you've experienced true unrestrained uh, um, uh, uh, lifestyle that has no constraints at all, you discover that uh, it becomes its own prison. You are free today to abuse drugs, but if you abuse drugs, that abuse, that freedom in abusing drugs will bring about destruction in your life. You are free to consume alcohol until you're in inebriated, but that becomes its own constraint in your life. You're free to go gamble away all of your resources, but that will bring a terrible destruction upon you. You're free in so many areas of your life that you can do that our world will not restrain you from doing, but will bring to you more shackles and chains than you ever had before. The grace of God that comes through salvation is not about being unrestrained, 
but being free from the bondage of the law that you might be free to obey Jesus. Now, here is the sermon in a nutshell this morning. Outside of salvation, you may try to appease God by keeping the law. And two things will happen there. Number one, you will try a lot, suffer a lot, and the second thing is you will not please God. Or under the grace of God, you will be, have been set free from the bondage of the law. In other words, you no longer have to do things to try to be right, but you are set free that you may obey Jesus and two things will happen. You will enjoy the grace of God that says you are right before God, not because of what you've done, but because what is he has done. And you will enjoy the pleasure of God as you obey him, not out of obligation, but out of freedom. And it's that freedom I want to talk about this morning. It's that freedom from legalism that I want to um, encourage you in this morning. And here's how we're going to divide our time as we think about this passage. Number one, through salvation, we are set free from the law's demands. And so your righteousness before God is no longer, through salvation, is no longer based on what you do and what you don't do. Number two, that produces in you a, an ability, an ability to freely and joyfully submit to Jesus. The big shocker here is that when you've been set free from the, from the demands of the law, what that produces in us is a joyful desire to submit ourselves to the righteousness of Jesus. And then lastly, I want to talk about what motivates us, what, what pushes us to obey. And it's not that we are trying to obey the letter of the law, but we are trying to obey the spirit of the righteousness of Christ. But let's begin with this idea of free from the law's demands. Now, the Bible teaches us that from birth, from the moment we are born, we are bound to the law. Now, you and I live in a culture that no longer recognizes the importance of the covenant of marriage. And so the, the, the illustration that, that, that Paul uses here may, may be strange to the world around us. So let me just walk through it very, very quickly. The, the, when you enter into marriage, you enter into a covenant. The Bible says what God has joined together, no man can separate. And the only way that covenant is broken is through death. And so when, when a husband and wife marry, that marriage is until one of them dies. But at the death of one of the spouse, the, the, the covenant of marriage no longer exists. And so what Paul says is he's, 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 he's talking about things that would have been very much understood in the context of that day. So he says, if a woman um, uh, is married and her husband dies and she then chooses to remarry, she's not an adulteress. She's not been dishonorable to her marriage covenant. No, that covenant died with her spouse and she's free before God and her community to marry again. But if she lives with a man while her husband still lives, she is an adulteress and she's broken the covenant of marriage. For those in Paul's day, marriage was unbreakable. No married woman would have entertained the idea of divorcing her husband. And in, in, such, marriage, in, in such marriages that Paul understood, you were bound to your spouse and unable to be bound to anyone else. Now, those things may not be true in our legal and cultural context that we live in today, but I want to be very clear to you. That is still true today with the law of God. 
When you were born, you were born under the law of God. You were obligated to obey it. You must be submissive to its demands. The law of God is, is true and is over all uh, creation. And all of us were born under the law of God, bound to the law, obligated to the law. And here's the kicker. We are condemned by the law. And you might say, what have I done to, to offend the law of God? Well, here's the point of the law is that no one can keep it perfectly. And so because the law of the God declares the righteousness of God, it also demonstrates and exposes the sinfulness of man. Read through the, the, the first five books of your Old Testament and you'll discover all of these laws that God uh, uh, created. For that matter, just read in the book of Exodus the, the Ten Commandments and then read in the New Testament where, where Jesus teaches on the Ten Commandments and you'll quickly realize you've broken all of them. And that's the point. The law as our tutor, our teacher, teaches us that God is holy and we are not. Therefore, all of us are bound under the law, and therefore, all of us are condemned by the law. It demonstrates that you are unrighteous, unworthy, unholy before a holy God. Now, in the context that we live in today, there's much talk, there's much sort of thinking that such things can be just set aside. But friends, listen to me very carefully. The law cannot be ignored. The law must be satisfied. The law is not put aside. It must be satisfied. Now, in our culture today, uh, we are very averse to long-term contracts. Some of you get nervous with two-year cell phone contracts. We don't want to obligate ourselves to, to anything long-term. I've even read some secular articles that, that are proposing now that instead of marrying for life, maybe you should just marry for five years and then renegotiate the contract at the end of it. Our culture very much is, is opposed to and averse to, uh, uh, to long-term commitment. And in our context, many might just assume that something that was unpleasant or burdensome could just be put aside. If you don't like the law of God, if you don't like the burdens of the law, then, then let's just ignore it. Let's just set it aside. Let's just call it old-fashioned and no longer pay attention to it. Paul uses the marriage covenant not in the modern idea of temporary, but in the biblical view of until death to illustrate our relationship with the law. The marriage covenant is only broken by death. Let's say a husband and wife married and they realized a couple of years into the marriage, neither one of them liked the other. That happens. But in Paul's context, they couldn't say, well, let's just pretend this didn't happen. Let's just set aside the marriage and both go our own ways. Now, that may be culturally appropriate in our own, or culturally accepted in our own day, but that would have been unfathomable in Paul's day. In Paul's day, a spouse was not free to marry another as long as their spouse lived. And once the spouse died, however, the remaining spouse was then free to marry. The marriage covenant is completed. It is satisfied. It has ended at the death of one of the spouses. Friends, listen to me carefully. Likewise, the law of God cannot be ignored. The law of God cannot be put away. You may not like it. You may wish to be free of it. But you cannot ignore the law of God. It must be completed. It must be satisfied. It must be ended. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. You see, salvation brings death to our flesh. 
What was bound to the law is dead. What was under the authority of the law is no more. And what must, what must submit to the demands of the law no longer exists. The Bible says that in salvation we, our old nature, our old self has died. There's been a death. And then it, that death has broken the bondage that the law had over us. Friends, salvation brings death to the law and life in Christ. Paul's been dealing with the question of the relationship of grace and unrestrained sin since chapter 6. I hope you were here last Sunday. We, we talked about that very thing. Now in chapter 7, he continues to develop a biblical understanding of what, of what, what, brings, free, why, what brings freedom from sin and how it does not produce more uh, sin in our life. The sinful world hears freedom from the law and thinks, that means I'm free to sin more. But this is not the grace of salvation. Salvation is freedom from the law that we might be alive to Christ. That's the relationship here. Dead to the old thing, alive to newness in Christ. Those who are alive in Christ do not desire more sin or any other thing associated with their former life, but that was dead under the law. Those alive in Christ desire to live for Christ, like Christ, to glorify Christ. That's what we talked about last Sunday. That when you are dead to the former nature, you no longer want to go back to that, but you want to embrace and love and rejoice in your, in your new nature. Friends, through salvation, the first thing that happens is you are set free from the demands, from the obligations, to, from to the requirements of the law. Under the Old Testament law, there was a whole long list of things that you had to do to be right before God. We don't, we don't talk about those things any longer because if you've been set free by the blood of Jesus, your righteousness to God is not dependent upon what you do. Your righteousness to Jesus is not dependent upon what you don't do. Your righteousness before God is only dependent upon what Christ has done for you. If we die today, a meteor hits Waycross and wipes us all out, and we stand before the judgment seat of God this afternoon, what will give you entrance into the glory of heaven will not be that you were in church this morning. Neither will it be that you said, listen, I, I tithed to the church faithfully for years. I've attended church faithfully. None of that will matter. The only thing that matters is, have you known Jesus? And has he covered over your multitude of sin with the great once-for-all death and his blood? That's the only thing. We're no, longer, we're no longer righteous by the demands of the law, by keeping the demands of the law. We're righteous by the, the life we have that comes in Jesus. So we've been set free from the law's demands, and we've been set free to, to joyfully submit to Jesus. Now here's where the rub happens. And this is where the testimony of those who've been saved is demonstrated. So the world here is free from the demands of the law. They go, praise God, I can do whatever I want to. But, but Paul is teaching, no, 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 what this really means is that you're free to joyfully submit to Jesus. Look at verse 5 with me. He says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work. In other words, while we were under the law, we actually, that, that arousedness stirred up in us even more desire to break in uh, the law of God and, diso and disobey the righteousness of God in our members, to bear the fruit of death. Verse 6, he says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve 
in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Salvation, by definition, joins you to Christ. So to, to think in the image, the, the illustration that Paul uses first of the marriage, the, 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 the marital covenant of the law has been broken, and we are now the bride of Christ, married to, joined to Christ. Salvation joins you to Jesus. doesn't set you free to nothingness. From a worldly perspective, some might see grace as freedom from the law to do what you want, no longer worried about the consequences. But this is not the biblical teaching of grace. Grace frees you from the law that you might be joined to Jesus, that you might be connected to Jesus, related to Jesus, married to Jesus. Here again, the relationship of marriage is used to illustrate this dynamic. Before the, your, your death, you were bound and, and obligated to your former spouse, but now that you've been set free from that, you are free to marry again the Christ, the, the marriage of Christ and the church. Through Jesus, the power of the law has been satisfied that we might experience the power of the living Lord. Salvation sets you free from the burdensome obligation to obey the law that you might joyfully serve the Lord in willful submission. Salvation, by its very definition, creates a relationship with you and with Jesus. Sometimes you um, will enter into a contract, and the worst kind of contract is one where the cost outlasts the benefit or the pleasure that whatever it was that you purchased brought. Now, Maybe you bought something. Maybe you bought it on payments. And, you're, and maybe it didn't last or it broke, but you still got payments. Those are awful payments to make, aren't they? I mean, they're awful to make because whatever it was that you were paying for no longer exists. You, you want to make sure that it's paid off before it breaks or it wears out. Being upside down on a car loan doesn't run anymore, a car that doesn't run, run or, or paying a mortgage on a house that you no longer live in. Those would be painful payments to make. Being under the law is being in such a contract, overwhelming requirements with absolutely no joy. Just obligations, just demands. There is a testimony in the Old Testament that every time I read it, that the intensity of it overwhelms me. It's the story of Hosea. I don't know if you've read it or are aware of it. You ought to take some time, some time, and read it, but you need to read it from start to finish. The testimony of Hosea demonstrates this principle of, uh, powerfully to, to Israel. So here's the story of Hosea. Gomer is a prostitute, and the prophet Hosea is commanded by God to marry Gomer. Almost from the very start, after being purchased out of prostitution, Gomer would be unfaithful to the marriage and again return to prostitution. Now you would think at that point Hosea would go, okay God, I've done what you've asked me to do. I spent my own money. I purchased her out of the slavery of prostitution and married her and made her my wife, and she has chosen by her own choice to go back into prostitution and enslave herself again. And God comes to Hosea and he says, yes, 
Now go purchase her back. He has to go purchase out of the slavery of prostitution his own wife who had been unfaithful to him. And he did. God commanded him to bear children, and he did. And each child is named as a testimony of God's judgment over Judah. One child is named, God will punish Judah. What a great name that was. Another child was named, uh, No Mercy. Another child was named, Not My People. However, in the last chapter of Hosea, is a word about God's future redemption and blessing of his people. And in Hosea, God was teaching that true joy and peace were not going to be found in the law, but only in joyfully, joyful, obedient relationship with himself. In other words, where, 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 the, where the joy was going to be was not that Gomer came back obligated to Hosea. The joy was going to be when Gomer came back joyfully submitting to Hosea. Through salvation, that truth is even more so in our life. True peace and joy are not found in the law, keeping the law, obligations of the law, and the legalism of the law, but being in relationship with Jesus. I, listen, friends, I don't know how to press that enough into your life. The joy of salvation is not going to be found in a chart that you keep of all the things that you do for God. The joy of salvation comes from rejoicing in the relationship you have with Jesus. And the product of that relationship will be service and acts of obedience and righteousness. But you're doing those things not because you're obligated, but because you are joyfully submitting to Jesus. What Paul is saying here in chapter 7 is that salvation allows you and enables you to joyfully, to allows you to joyfully bear fruit for Christ. So, so in verse 4, it gives us the, 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 the reason and purpose of why we have known salvation. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. Salvation produces the ability to bear good fruit. Verse 5 reminds us that while we were under the law, we produced the fruit of death, flowing out of our sinful passions and dead works. Being joined to Christ, we are able to produce good fruit. The point is, is that while under the bondage of the law, you cannot and you will not produce good fruit fruit. Only through being joined to Christ are we made able to bear good fruit. The reality is that the ability, to, this ability does not come from ourselves, but from Christ working through us. You see, everything we do out of legalism and obligation to the law, all of those things are born out of, motivated by, produced by our own ability and our own effort. But when you're joined to Christ, through salvation made new in the Spirit, those things are flowing out of the Spirit working through you. And Christ only works through those whom he, who have been joined to him through faith. Now, I think what's at the bottom of all of this is a question. And the question is, what is motivating you? What, what is generating in your life righteousness? And frankly, friends, it's a question that we need to each ask ourselves and judge rightly in our own hearts. Are we motivated by the Spirit within us, 
or are we motivated by legalism? So look at the very last part of verse 6. So I'll I'll read the whole verse to you. He says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now here's where I think is key. Not in the old way of the written code. What does he mean by that? Well, he's talking about legalism. So in the old way, we were serving according to the, to the written code and, and the obligation of keeping the rules of righteousness rather than rejoicing in the, in the joy of relationship. What motivates you? Is it the spirit of Christ within you or the legalism of the flesh? Just a couple of things here. Number one, we are called under salvation to obey according to the spirit, not the letter of the law. Now, this is the difference between obeying in technicalities versus obeying in the heart. Under the law, the motivation is to obey whatever the technical requirements of the law demands, but nothing else. If you were to teach the, if you were to study the, the teachings of the rabbinic law that Paul would have been very familiar with, he remember he's a Pharisee, he had grown up in this, he would have taught this. You would be surprised with how specific and precise the rules were. Now the reason why those rules are so specific and precise is that those who were learning them and teaching them were very keen on keeping them, but not to to satisfy the the glory of God, but to satisfy the technical realities and technical demands of the law. So, So the laws would be, if you're not allowed to come up on these steps, we would be very specific. Well, you can only come within a half inch of the step, no further, and you got to look and see the the knit of the carpet, and then we would all pay attention to that because we really don't care about the spirit behind it, the reason behind it. We'd only be carried about the law behind it, the legalism behind it. When you are under the law, your righteousness is tied to keeping the law. And keeping the law requires that you keep the the letter of the law. Every requirement, every demand, every rule. But listen to me. Listen to me carefully on this. Salvation sets you free from keeping the letter of the law. No longer is our righteousness from rule-keeping. In the salvation of Jesus, our righteousness and our salvation are, are made through Jesus and the cross. Salvation sets you free from obeying the, the will. It sets you free from the, the letter of the law, and it sets you free to obey the will and the heart of God. No longer under salvation do we ask, how much can I do to be right up to the edge of the law and still be righteous? No, now we start asking, what can I do for the glory of Christ, for his name, and for the righteousness that comes from knowing him? No longer obeying the, the spirit, no longer obeying the letter, but rather obeying out of the spirit of the law. And, and it gives us the ability to, joy, to joyfully obey, not just keep obligated compliance. The law demands, and you must obey. The spirit sets you free, and you get to obey. When bound to the law of man, you are obligated to obey its demands and suffer its judgment. But when you are free in Jesus, you are free to enjoy the righteousness of Jesus and willfully obey. Now, there are some things that you have to do. Usually these things come in the demands of the law. So, like, you have to pay your taxes. Now, come April 15th, if you just decide you don't want to pay your taxes, there's going to be consequences for you because the law demands 
that you pay your taxes. Now, we understand that when you write that check to pay your taxes, you're not doing it out of joyfulness, right? Nobody ever calls me April 15th and 16th and says, Pastor, I've been so blessed. You know, taxes went up this year and I got to write more for the government. Aren't you? Isn't that wonderful? Now, now you all, I hope you all are writing that check, but you're writing it out of obligation. Here's what you have done up until you wrote that check. You did everything possible. You used every resource and tool to your ability to make sure that you wrote as small a check as possible, right? Nobody ever says, well, the government can use it. They can, I can have a little extra. No, you only want to keep the, abs- the absolute letter of the law to only write what you are demanded to pay. Now, I hope, listen to me carefully, I hope that's different when you write your tithe check. I really do hope that some of you are experiencing those moments where you realize God has blessed you and you get to joyfully give to the work of God. I hope that when you write that check, there's a spirit of rejoicing that God is using you and the blessings that he's giving you for the work of the kingdom. I hope that when we give appeals, Every now and then we give appeals for special offerings like at Easter and, and Christmas. And, and I'll often say, I want you to give generously. I hope in those moments you go, you know what? God's been really good to me. I want to give a little bit beyond what I've given last year for the glory of his name. Not because I have to and not because anybody will ever know that I gave it. But because for the glory of God, for God I can and joyfully give this to the, to the work of God. Do you see how that's a different experience? To one, you only want to keep the letter. You only want to do exactly what you're required out of obligation, but no more. The other you're joyfully doing for the glory of God's name. In salvation, you're set free to joyfully obey, not obligated compliance. Obligations results from the demands of the law, but joy flows from the sweetness of relationship. Being free from the law and bound to Jesus is not about trading one burden for another. Being free from the law and bound to Jesus is about being free from the obligation and joyful in relationship with Jesus and doing all things for the glory of his name. Paul says that we, are, that we serve in newness of the Spirit. That is that our lives become focused on the glory of God, not the work of man. Desiring what the Lord desires, having a heart to be about the work of God, desiring the truth to be known, the gospel to be proclaimed, that God would be glorified, that, that God would receive all worship, loving what God loves and hating what God hates, and having the heart of God within us. What motivates you to be here? It's summertime. You could be a hundred different places, but, but you chose this morning, you chose to be here, which meant there was a whole host of decisions that led up to you being here. You, you, you made the decision to be here this morning, yesterday. You prepared last night to go to bed on time. So you get up this morning, you got up this morning and prepared yourself and got here. Some of you were in Sunday school this morning. That's who good. So what motivated you to be here? Now the question is, were you, were you motivated this morning for your love for Jesus, that you're convinced that Jesus is worthy of worship and honor, and so you want to be in his house where his name is lifted up and the word of God is preached? Or were you motivated by obligation? Now, the truth is, and this is where I want to press us just a little bit, that the, the answer to that is not always clear. Where the truth of that is often revealed 
is when the whatever external force is being pressed on us is removed, do we continue to obey? Now there's two places I see this most prominent. The first is when students go off to college for the first time. Now, if you had that experience or you're about to have that experience, listen to me carefully. So maybe you grew up in church and you were in church every Sunday. Praise God for that. Your parents were faithful to bring you to church and make sure that you were there. And if you were like me, I never, I never asked my parents. I mean, the question never exited my lips, can I skip church today? Because I already knew that answer, right? I mean, I grew up in a home where we went to church. That was, that was, a, uh, was a, as, as, as common as breathing air on Sunday morning and Sunday night and anything else during the week the church was having. If the church doors were open, we were there. Never asked whether or not I could skip because I knew the answer before I even needed to ask it. So I was there. But, but I, you grow up in a context like that, then you go off to, to college and nobody's there to make you go to church anymore. Do you still go to church? Do you still plan on Saturday night so that you can get up on Sunday morning? Do you still get up on Sunday morning and prepare? And do you, is that a, that, is that a priority in your life? And oftentimes what happens is folks who were very faithful all the way through from birth and all the way through high school who were faithful to attend church, all of a sudden they go to school and they're, they're no longer attending and and, and, and years go by and they no longer attend. What has happened? Did they change their mind? No. What happened was the external force was no longer applied. And the reason why they were attending was not motivated by the love of Jesus. It was motivated by obligation. And when the obligation was no longer there, neither was the righteousness. But before you're too harsh on college students, I've seen it very, very prominently in another area of recent days. Two things have happened the last 10 years maybe, maybe more than that, we're, we are coming to the acceleration moment of the collapse of cultural Christianity. I've talked about this with you many times before where there was a time not too long ago when if you wanted to be important in the community, you had to be connected to a church. That is no longer true. You can be elected to a local office, you can be elected to a, uh, a national office, and your church attendance has no bearing on that at all. You can stay home next Sunday and mow your grass while everybody else goes to church and likely nobody's going to say a word to you. You know, that wasn't true 20 years ago, but it is true today. Now, that was already happening in 2020. But in 2020, something upset the whole world, and that was the, the pandemic, and we all had to go home. And just from my perspective as a pastor, the thing that has broken my heart the most is that we're, there were many who went home for the pandemic, like we all did, but they've never come back. Now, I'm not talking about folks who are physically unable. I'm talking about healthy, able people who have never come back. Some of them I pray for every time I pass their home. And what breaks my heart is I, what has happened with that is the obligation is no longer there. And it has revealed what was already there. They were attending because they were a they were obligated but when that obligation when that external force was removed they no longer attend and it revealed the reality of their heart now in some ways I think that's helpful and healthy for the church but it's also painful to realize that there were many among us who were attending out of obligation not love for Jesus 
The freedom that salvation brings is freedom from the obligation of the law. Through Jesus, we've been set free from this obligation and bondage to the law to freely and joyfully follow Jesus. Listen to me carefully. The call of salvation is not to exchange one demanding master for another. The call of salvation is to be set free from the obligations and demands of the law that you might be in relationship, joyful relationship with Jesus. That you obey not because you have to, but because you want to. And there is an eternity of difference between those two. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.